You are listening to the Hutton Orbital News Digest. This is a shorter version of the full show that you can find on iTunes. Enjoy! After over a year of near silence regarding the Guardians, boffins have announced that something has been quite literally staring him in the face this week. With the focus of many a pilot's visit to the ruins being the destruction of anything that moves, desecration of the ancient site, and the drawing of glyphs of human body parts all over the place using the wheels of their SRV, the absolutely bleeding obvious appears to have been right in front of them the whole time. Whilst engineers have been poring over the small chunks that break off various pillars and the data that can be collected by their scarab-mounted invisible knowledge gun. Until this week, no one has actually had the forethought to look at the pillars from which they came. I'm reading the wrong fucking bit, aren't I? Shall I start again? (laughs) That'll be lovely. Right. This is because I prepared myself really well. Okay. Everybody, that was a practice. And now, here is the preamble to Hutton Orbital News on Thursday, the 16th of July. Studio 5 is its usual busy self this week. Presenters are putting on their makeup. Just look. Even those without a camera. And the tech monkey is pressing buttons at random, occasionally grinning and making ook noises. There are 200 notes on the desk at the front. One is from Rudolf Hucker, who claims to be sick. But as we all know, it's just so he can spend more time with Alvin. The other note is from Lou Snockers, who says he has to stay behind and do his homework. But Norma's not happy. The chief presenter enters the room in his dinner suit, fiddling with his dickie and carrying a script that's so fresh that we can feel the heat where it's just come out of the printer. He sits down, adjusts his position, signals to the monkey, who shows his bottom, but undetermined, the consummate professional, leans close to the microphone and says... Just just want to check, who's the, um, who's the, the professional... Our mics. Uh, Just checking. I'm not sure. It was meant to be Amelia. I think you think you're up. This is your line. Probably Amelia. Don't. Our mics are live. Good evening, good evening, good evening, everyone. It certainly wasn't Pete tonight. Uh, yes, the time again for Hutton to dive into the bowels of the news and present you with all of the juicy bits. To help me in this task, with surgical precision, I have the laser scalpel that is Wilma Fingadoo. Thank you, Dr. Dick. Sorry for that. The speculum that is Harry Balzac. Here's looking at you, Dick. The cool, soothing flannel that is Norma Snockers. Oh, get away, you flatterer. And the man who never stitches us up, Commander Witherspoon. 
I can't wait to find out what news item I get to read tonight. <laughs> I suppose it is now time to try and shock this thing and bring this news articles into life. Guardians have gone to the pictures. Hot spot swat dot pot shot blot. It's rock time again. Simbad sad as things improve. A tad. For one officer, sorry seems to be the hardest word not Lou sent his news about Alvin biting off more than he can chew and Norma's pouring her heart out After over a year of near silence regarding the Guardians, boffins have announced that something has been quite literally staring him in the face this week. With the focus of many a pilot's visit to the ruins being the destruction of anything that moves, desecration of the ancient site, and the drawing of glyphs of human body parts all over the place using the wheels of their SRV, the absolutely bleeding obvious appears to have been right in front of them the whole time. Whilst engineers have been poring over the small chunks that break off various pillars and the data that can actually be collected by the scarab mounted invisible knowledge gun, until this week no one has had the forethought to look at the pillars from which they came. Yes, it appears that the Guardian pillars have three different weapon fire detachable cover plates on them. An upper, a middle, and a lower section, only one of which can be removed by careful application of ordnance. With most commanders distracted by the shiny thing that fell off, Commander Germanis spotted that behind each piece of surgically destroyed cover plate was some hieroglyphic diddly doodah, which varied depending on which one you'd just broken. Working closely with Commander Thacino, he's been able to determine only one piece of translation out of the three. The lowest of the three sections does indeed quite simply say, Bottom. It's good to confirm that the Guardians are as partial to rude graffiti as humans. Following widespread complaints from pilots that staring at the bright lights of overlapping hotspots was hurting their delicate eyes, and that the hollow specs that are available in outfitting don't help as they are polarised in the wrong direction, the Pilots' Federation has hit upon, if you will forgive the pun, a bright idea. They have not only reduced the glare from hotspots by cutting back on the intensity of the overlapping area, but have cleverly managed at the same time to help with social distancing, as pilots are forced to conduct mining operations further and further apart in order to find their precious cargo of low-temperature diamonds. The unexpected effect of this change 
is to bring about economic disaster for the galaxy, at least according to Mr. John Licken, spokesman for a minor faction on Buckle Dock in the chicken system. Yes, Chicken Licken can be heard screaming, the price is falling, the price is falling, and that's no fairy tale, we assure you. The smart investors out there are selling all of their holdings that they have in saltworks, as a sudden glut of the seasoning makes it almost valueless as a bargaining tool. Yes, more power than a Van de Graaff generator and more King Crimson than Hanky with his pants down. It was a momentous occasion yesterday when the hottest prog rock band in the galaxy, Hotbox and the Devs, had the opening concert of their grand tour live at the Guardian Ruins. Yes, even the oldies in the audience had their hearing aids turned up to 11 as Axemaster Arthur, no, Wendy was the other one for goodness sake, told me, opened the proceedings with the band's best known single, For the Love of Tritium, despite it recently plummeting down the charts. It had nearly been a disaster for fans as Arthur had arrived only a few minutes before the scheduled start time after screaming along the Neutron Highway as he'd missed the tour bus. But the fans were not disappointed as the band played hit after hit from their catalogue and the arena was bathed in the light show courtesy of the obliging skimmers and crowned with a big glitter ball. The band were in their 3304 lineup, with Arthur joined by his not very long standing vocal partner and keyboard player Stephen Madwe Jock, but not as mad as Mui Mad Jock Benedetti, with Rampage, yes, I'm named after a bloody plane 737 on 8-bit synthesizer, and Cory Deadshot Venezia on bass, and Shoreside, I don't have a nickname, customs on the guitar. And Marco, what do you mean I am standing up, 2612, leading the backing singers, the Dirty Boxers. The concert went on into the wee small hours, sorry Marco, with only comparatively minor incidents and only finished when it did because the woman next door said she had to get up early for work the next day. More dates for the tour will be published shortly. Sorry again, Marco. In case this report isn't 100% accurate, due to the onion head fumes at the gig, uh, the apology officer has promised a completely unbiased version later in this bulletin. The sound of chuckling could be heard all the way from Colonia this week, as Simbad the used to be bad but can't be bothered to be bad anymore, appears to have thrown in his cape, packed his bags and gone to repair his reputation as a dastardly rotter somewhere else. While he's, whilst he hasn't been seen in person since last week's show, yes, we're now sure that the charades playing mustachioed photobomber was him and not a really, really early Halloween mask. Whilst browsing through the system logs, the fleet carrier Bad Fart, or of Fat Fairy, has now been renamed to the Sad Fart. Yes, even the orbiting nightstick with which they were subjugating the population is jumping away. There are rumours that the dedicated Badian forces those loyal to Mr. I used to be bad to the bone, but now it's only skin deep, have stayed behind and are attempting to interfere in the legitimate transfer of power, radio, of power between Radio Sidewinder, the galaxy's third most awesome radio station, and the 38. 
Hutton Cybercrimes Division based at HCHQ have been monitoring traffic showing that bad state actors had been putting on fake noses and glasses and preparing to rig the 3306 elections in WNL. Good, jolly good thing we started a war instead. The handover of the system appears to have had a pressure release effect on all the other factions based in WNL with rumours that just about everyone wants to get the heck away from it now that they've been let out of prison and head back to their home systems. A series of retreats have been announced with political teams preparing to clear their desks, board the nearest beluga masquerading as a tourist and go back via a few of the Colonia beacons. Hutton, the Palladium Consortium, Radio Sitzelwinder and all other groups involved in the rededication of Dunkey's Rest have become have confirmed that the Galactic Wrestling Federation stake fakery of the war is just for sure and of course we didn't really hit Bam over the head with a metal chair. And now an apology. Read on behalf of the apology officer who has sent their apologies for not being here. Hutton Orbital Truckers Cooperative. Incident Report Form. Incident Location. Sinoof CE-RC21-6. Date and Time of Incident. 2015 hours, Wednesday the 15th of July, 3306. Reporting Officer, Mia Harkness. Circulate 2, his fluffiness, Alvin DeFeer. And Progenitor, Lael Wolf. Possibly Architect, Lael Wolf. Type of Incident, Hotbox. Type of Damage, Life, Ship, Station, and Psychological Scarring. I'm sure we all know the saying that a community manager is never late and that they always arrive precisely when they mean to. Well, I can only assume that Arthur Tolmy meant to arrive 30 seconds after FTM Alvin's paw locked down her landing pads prior to jumping. Thankfully, the Merlin to Arthur's Arthur was on hand to help out. Don Benedetti had tagged along as a disembodied head in a jar using the Xbox app and was able to conjure something which allowed him to use dark magic to help Arthur catch up. Once on board, the whole team made our way to the Guardian structure in the hopes of picking up a few weapon blueprints for folks. And we were in luck, and the whole site was in daylight. Everyone got landed, and we deployed SRVs, except for Bobby, who was providing aerial cover. My wheels had no sooner touched the ground than we encountered a sentinel. Myself and Malice moved in and set about disabling this mechanised party pooper. Just as we were finishing it off, there was a bright light and a loud bang, followed by lots of flaming SRV parts bouncing around the place. One wheel still rolling along and is expected to complete a full circumnavigation of the planet by this time next week. As it turns out, Bobby's precision rocket attack on the Sentinel wasn't quite so precise as he thought, and he'd managed to wipe out myself and Malice in the ensuing explosion. A fitting tribute to Dan Topham's torchlight of terror. 
The rest of the event went without incident. Our commanders were able to secure three blueprints and no one else died. Although we came close a couple of times while lining up for a group photo. Arthur even managed to get aboard the fleet carrier in time for our return journey. He was presented with a hotbox decal code, which turned out to be duff. Instead of a decal, he received a copy of the Ladies of Lacon 3306 calendar. Actually, he seemed quite taken by all those Rubenesque ladies in their boiler suits. So, Arthur, your new code is D0BNDR hyphen F15H hyphen B5C1T hyphen HTB0X hyphen KN08. That's fish biscuit hot box. Don't use it. Don't anyone use it now? No. It's Arthur's. So, in summary, it was all Bobby's fault. Anyway, happy World Snake Day to Commander Hanky and his clones, and happy National Corn Fritter Day to the rest of you. Mia Harkness, Apology Officer, Team Hotbox. Sorry again. Well, well, well. Who's been paying attention this week? Not a lot of you, it seems. At war in LP525-39, elections that we wanted to lose in Stain and we're drawing, Y's over 70%, 3 over other systems over 60%, Alvin is very, very disappointed. At least Colonia's fairly stable, and they're not even pending an election in tier, which is almost unheard of. If you're over there, you can do anything good in all of our systems, but save your data for tier, please. Talking of Colonia, if you're working in Dubenil, please contact Smuggles and McKeague before taking any actions. Sidewinder, handing over control cleanly is a delicate matter and we don't want to mess it up. But back to the bubble. Lose in Stein. Lose in Stein when an LP525-39. Pay attention to our systems and remember, under 40% is bad. Over 60% is bad. War is bad. Elections are bad. Civil war is bad, but a bit more polite. Sim is bad, but that's more of a bother in Colonia. Get all of our systems in that 40 to 60 bracket, and then we can work out on taking control of Wolf 1481. Now, where does Lou hide that ginger cake? I always see him eating after that bit. I love a little moist bit of <laughs> ginger. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> over to Norma. Starting on the 18th of July and running until the 26th, the Buckyball Racers are hosting an event that they are calling Keys to the Carrier. This is a time trial, starting and finishing at the Fleet Carrier, Keys Cut While You Wait, KNQ-LTB, which is in orbit around Planet 9A in the sign of HP-E 
B45-7 system some 696 light years from Sol. From there, you'll need to visit three different Guardian beacons, collect one key from each and bring them all back to the carrier. When you get back, you'll need to show them your keys before you can land, so jettison them, jettison them outside within three kilometres of the carrier, photograph them with the carrier in view, then scoop them back up, land and sell them to the local commodity market. Full details are in the forums and we've created a link to make them easier to find. It's bit.ly slash keys to carrier. That's keys figure two carrier. The big bubble banter bus is in party mood this week as it appears that Baz has a birthday. We're not sure if it's a big birthday or whether he has balloons. But we do know that the banter bus became a battle bus and backed up Stain with a beep to help boost Hutton's influence. Now they've been brought to bear in LP52539 and have asked to be, be big, be bold, bring beams and of course big booms to the battle zone. If you want to join them, catch Commander Sinrain on comms and join his campaign to carry on chatting. Looking ahead to the next few weeks, the monthly Hutton Come and Have a Chat evening with the Green Room docking access being granted is coming up in two weeks and of course the next CQC bash is scheduled for the 15th of August to make sure that there's time for Anaconda ogling session from the Alvin's Paw on the 8th. On the Hutton notice board this evening, we've got a message of thanks from Alvin for the delicious dog treats that he opened and duly scoffed earlier and the cuddly crocheted Alvin plushie that was sent for his aid snores to put in his bed for when he gets lonely. Usually when Alvin steps out for a pee. <laughs> there are hopes that, he plushie, that the plushie will stop snores pawing at the door and looking forlorn. We also have the latest from Major General, who has invented the helpful Hutton ear and hair protector for wearing alongside your Remlock, helping keeping it in place without developing helmet hair or calluses on the back of your ears. He has reopened the little limpet 3D printing facility aboard his fleet carrier and has set a purchase order for any reasonable donation to Hutton's chosen charities as a current market price. See Goldbook for details. And that's it from the community news for this evening. <laughs> Stop in Houston a wee while. It's flashing. It's flashing. It's flashing. It's flashing. And the community goes. Good evening, everyone. 
Flossie here with this week's CCCG News. The Art of War. Operation AXI has placed an open kill order of Thargoids with just about anything you can harvest from one able to be dropped to contribute to the CCCG and a Thargoid decal for all participants if it passes the only tier before the CCCG ends. Thargoid heart harvesting is sitting at uh, 3,751 out of 10,000. It's day 18, so above target of 3,600 at 200 per day, with 35 days to go. The other parts appear to be mostly complete, with only Thargoid probes remaining to be fulfilled and only 92 more required. Meta-alloys, Thargoid sensors, Thargoid links, Cyclops tissue samples, Basilisk tissue samples, Medusa tissue samples, Hydro tissue samples, Thargoid tech samples, Biological matter and Thargoid resin tiers have all been completed. The CCCG will conclude on the 20th of August or earlier if the top tier is met by that point. All deliveries until that date will count for the Thargoid decal for your ship. Uh, there was another one um, announced last week of buying the farm. Um, I'm not too sure uh, about this one because the only date that was given was 0707. So whether there's any time limit, I don't know. Um, but as far as I can see, there hasn't been a lot of progress on it. Um, as the commodities market on the carrier uh, law reconciliation still shows demand for all the required commodities at 3,000, with the exception of land enrichment systems, systems which does not appear at all. Uh, I don't know if that's because the required numbers have been received or it's just been missed off. Uh, the distance from the star that you jump into has probably put a lot of people off at 279,648 light seconds. Though so this does seem to be one of these uh, upside down systems where you arrive at a different star from the system name <laughs> and uh, everywhere, all stations etc. are a lot further away. Anyway. Um, that may be ongoing, I don't know. Anyway, that's all from me this week. Tune in next week to see whether we hit the target for hearts and whether any non-combat CGs that I can take part in, as I'm still harmless, you know. Not a... Classy told you what to do. I sample everything rare and dangerous in the galaxy, so you don't have to. This week, I'll be diving into the large pot of beans that is the galaxy's rare coffee selection and discovering heady aromas, heart rate adjusting brews, 
and the exact process that makes each of these rare items quite so expensive. Coffee is one of the more abundant products in the galaxy. Having been discovered on Earth, as legend would have it, in the ancient coffee forests of Ethiopia by a goat herder named Kaldi, who gave some to a nearby mon monastery, who swiftly discovered that it could keep them awake all week during their rituals. Coffee was rapidly adopted by most of civilization to the extent that dependence upon it was commonplace. Wars have been full over coffee. Deals brokered. Coming in for a coffee after a night out has become a euphemism for potential horizontal joggery. And whole cultures have staked their financial futures on a bean. Your common or garden coffee is prolific, growing planet side or in hydroponic facilities under suns of just about any color. A more vigorous bush you're unlikely to find just about anywhere. Its ability to survive in just about any environment is only surpassed by the dandelion. There are four brands of coffee marked as rare goods in the Galapedia rubicaea. The first sample on my desk here is Eni Na Coffee from Libby Orbital in, Eni, in the Eni Na system. Originally sneered as a cheap coffee substitute, it isn't actually made from beans or in fact the coffee plant at all. The cunning bushy substitute doesn't have a bean, but instead some very juicy roots. And it is from these roots that the herbal leafy tips that the coffee flavor stems. It is, as it says on the tin, an acquired taste with a thick texture and bitter flavor and lacks the required caffeine hit of a proper cup o joe. But for bohemians out there that prefer their milk made from soybeans, their meat made from vegetables, and their shirts made of hessian, it allows them to sip a cup of something that at least smells right, whilst looking superior over their life choices. Second on my list is a genuine coffee bean. This one is a triumph of style over substance and proof that you can convince humanity to stick just about anything in their mouths as long as you market it properly. Have a great advertising campaign featuring stars of the silver screen walking through moody coffee plantations on a misty morning and looking sultry at the camera. Kitten brand coffee has a decidedly nutty aroma and a lingering aftertaste, which isn't surprising as it is harvested not from the plant but from the droppings of the cat that nibbles on the bush. Passing the beans through its digestive system and by a complicated chemical process excretes what they tell us is an improved bean. The cost of the kitten brand coffee is quite simply attributed to the labor involved in following a herd of cats around with a pooper scooper and sifting through their leavings. Is it rare? Yes. Is it coffee? Yes. Is it something I would rather not know where it came from? Absolutely. Back to the land of fakery once again with Guaman Yupung coffee. What can I say? The gold embossed blend of chemicals by appointment to Emperor Hengst Duval is ostentatious and targeted at Imperial Yimpies, young Imperial pilots who favor filofaxes and red braces. Made in a lab, 
freeze-dried and available in expensive capsules that fit the coffee machines of all Imperial ships. I can honestly say that the flavour reminds me more of a spoonful of warm mud than anything else. Serve to your enemies or use it to stain documents so they look old. Our penultimate selection this evening is the real thing. Robust beans, roasted and ground in secret laboratories, brewed only with comet water. This is one of the most potent drinks in the galaxy. Guaranteed to restart your heart after a close encounter of the high prediction kind. Relied upon by explorers everywhere to keep them going for just one more honk. Delicious. Rumours are that the Don himself uses it for an after dinner affogado. To die for. And finally, a coffee so rare that you can't actually buy it anywhere. Designed to do just one job. Keep Hutton truckers going on the long run back home. Hutton brand coffee is stronger, darker and richer than just about anything you've seen. One espresso will make your eyebrows vibrate. Two will turn a galactic intern into a gibbering wreck in the office. Three, there are rumours that the time your heart rate falls to triple digits, Sol will have gone Nova, and humanity will be a twinkle in the eye of the squirrels that took over after they killed us all in a humorous furry accident. If you've given a bag of these, if you're given a bag of these beans, take great care. Wash your hands afterwards, wear a mask, and please don't go to a nearby war zone after drinking and challenge an entire faction to an arse-kicking contest on your own. In an adder. Don't ask how I know. I've just eaten a chocolate-coated Hutton brand coffee bean and need to do a few laps of the station. Next week, we will be testing We Meat Wheat Cakes. This is Amelia Hawke reporting for the Galnet Food Digest. We drink too much coffee so you don't get the jitters. Good evening, students, and welcome to the latest in the series of Buck-Necked Placeholder Lectures. This module in week 242 counts for five points in your final exam. And remember that you'll need to submit your analysis along with your essay on the rise of the giant conglomerate in modern society and the FOMO tactics employed by Lacon Spaceways. Plus, of course, your charcoal drawing of Buck. Charcoal? because as you know, Buck is no oil painting and there's not enough pink paint or modeling clay in the galaxy to do him justice in any other medium. There may be a pop quiz at the end of the lecture, so pay attention. Winnard, whatever you're playing with, stop right now. That is not the recommended way to measure two meters and for goodness sake, wash your hands. Let me start by asking if any of you can identify this tune. Trucker, 
If you can turn the profit, then you're out of love. It's for the mother that we fly all over the space. Point to two light years crossed at a hell of a base. Just turn the wheel and keep that smile on your face. Maybe someday soon you'll be a top trucker. Now, the galaxy is a very big place, and the person who has done the most this week to shrink it down to size was Commander Overlight, who jumped a total of 62,153 light years, which is more than the entire width of NGC 4309, a spiral galaxy in the constellation Virgo. Cargo is important for trade in the galaxy, and a well-known snapper-up of unconsidered trifles, Commander Mindwipe managed to sell 73,352 units this week. He must like doing this, or else it's become an obsession and he should seek help. We suggest a wing invitation as a start. Our political Svengali this week, with a total of 1,004 mission points, is Commander Millstone Barn the man with nearly as many names as King Hanky. It's important for balance that hard work is rewarded and crimes punished. To that end, Commander Texas Stew has been causing a mess by destroying the Dasily Don's pirates. Someone's gonna have to clean up that mess, but it doesn't look like it'll be Texas Stew, as he's already cleaned up to the tune of a whopping 135,995,193 credits. Uh, the galactic lockdown does seem to be having an effect as our top PPE wearing taxi driver this week, Commander Cake Wreck, only managed to re relocate 1,515 passengers. Um, there is a report that driving around all those people has led to a miracle and they no longer need to wear glasses. The record for the hut and run is still in the hands of Commander Brett, Brett Riverboat with 1 hour 22 minutes and 31 seconds. And he says if that no one's really trying to beat that, he'll ask Commander Evenstar to engrave his name on the trophy he's going to take it home. The nearest contender so far this month, who didn't use fleet carry assistance, is Commander Roraima, who managed 1 hour 23 minutes and 49 seconds but I think they had to stop briefly for a toilet break in the woods. Uh, track and tracing is well underway on this campus. Uh, we call it the Hutton Helper. If you want to make sure that you are contactable should you exceed any of the thresholds that you've heard today, then go to the website, hot.forthemug.com and download or register for the Hutton Helper. Once you are part of our system, should you be in need of special treatment, we'll know and you will hear your name in next week's lecture. Speaking of which, if your name was mentioned today, then you can have a special indicator for your ships and SRVs to allow other commanders to treat you appropriately. It's the Hutton decal, and if you're not already in possession of one, get in touch with us and we will perform the necessary operation. Thank you. That was the Hutton Top Trugger Hebdomadal Lecture.
In common with many educational establishments, in common with many educational establishments, we have been forced to embrace the world of commerce and supplement our income with sponsorship. Hence the new name of this lecture hall, the Lacon Spaceways Seat of Learning. Apparently it's the only lecture hall that contains a guidebook for Durham Cathedral under every seat. And all that remains for us to say is good night and for the mark. For the mark. For the mark. Oh. I don't I don't think naked hand puppets are against terms of use. <laughs>